Gaily bedight, a gallant knight, in sunshine and in shadow. Had journeyed long. What's that all about? Just a poem, one of Johnny Diamond's favorites. Let's see. Gaily bedight, a gallant knight, in sunshine and in shadow. Had journeyed long, singing a song in search of El Dorado. Howdy, everyone. Pull up a chair, kick up your boots, take a sip on a nice cold drink. It's Elder Pado, season three of Support Your Local Podcast, where we take a look at the 1966 John Wayne classic El Dorado, one chapter at a time. I'm your host, as always, Robert Smith, coming to you from beautiful Tombstone. Yes, that one. Today, we'll be taking a look at chapter seven, A Church Shootout. And we left off last chapter with the sheriff trying to get his gun on as Bull blows his bugle, and the Duke and Mississippi go sprinting out of the jail door and down the street. Uh, Here's one of the classic examples of the fact that the Duke just was not built for running. You know, apparently those years playing for football for USC was not kind on the knees. Um, They arrive at a group of people huddled on the street when Bull hollers at them from the porch on the other side, Uh, Apparently, the men that did it ran off down an alley, and the Duke wisely doesn't just run there, but instead takes a moment to see what exactly happened. We see the McDonald gang standing around, and the McDonald ladies, with a a guest appearance by Maudie, coming up to a man lying on the ground, hurt, but obviously still alive. Paul McDonald wonders why the Duke always seems to be around when one of his boys gets shot, and it, it made me wonder before we get some awesome acting from one of the McDonald boys, did Paul use his ever-brilliant strategy here as well? You know, were the rest of the gang inside Maldi's bar having a great time and Paul left one of them out there with instructions to shoot if there's any trouble and that will be our warning? And well, you know, that's, that's why there were so many shots heard from the jail. Is, is this range war becoming too much for Paul? And, you know, to cut food expenses, he's just systematically offing one kid every few weeks or so? Question mark? I'm just saying, I, I would never do anything to get rid of my kids. But we have a full house ourselves. And food is expensive. So I would never do it. But I get it, Paul. I get it. Now, back to the great acting, and this time, I'm not talking about Paul. Apparently, facial expressions, or lack thereof, are hereditary in the McDonald family, because the son that was there does a great job of not blinking and not inflecting his voice as he tells the Duke that a group of three guys came up to them, started calling them names, and then shot one of the boys. And the Duke wants to know if they could describe them, and the guy delivers one of the most peculiar lines, I know what they look like, before telling them. And I don't know why, it's, it's always bothered me, even as a kid watching this. Like, who, who talks like this? I mean, if he, if he delivered it almost sarcastically, like, yeah, I know what they look like, then maybe, you know, just maybe, 
but it's delivered so woodenly, and this is coming from the monotone king himself, me, that it just, I, I, I don't know, it, it, it bothers me. In the most descriptive terms ever, he says, and I quote, one was tall, one short, and one with a bad leg. So it must have been the Duke, who is tall, Mississippi, who is short, and the sheriff, who's drunkenly stumbling, is mistaken for a bad leg. And now the real plot of the movie begins. You know, wrongfully accused, the three of them, with the help of Bull, they must escape the McDonald gang, who, you know, they're strategically standing throughout the town, ready to, ready to finally get their revenge for poor, poor Luke. Nah. I wish, though. And uh, after the pretty damn vague description, Paul's ready to go get these guys when the sheriff finally makes his way through the 20 yards of the group. And just how many times did he drop that damn gun? Like, Jesus, dude. Like, it's been a good two minutes already. Paul and another McDonald rightfully say, where the hell have you been? But the sheriff tells them that there's no sense in them going after the guys because Nels McLeod is a part of this, and they're simply outclassed. John Wayne tells them that going after these guys will get them killed, which is exactly what Bart Jason wants to happen, and that they should wait for the sheriff's plan of action, and Paul, rightfully so this time, says, why the hell would he wait on him? And it's a nice echo to Cole saying essentially the same thing just a minute ago when he was fumbling with his gun when the gunshots happened. The sheriff understands that he's not doing the best right now, but McDonald can at least wait an hour before getting himself killed. Paul asks if Cole was backing up the sheriff, and after JP tells him no, well, he does it anyway. I mean, come on, he's, he's the duke. JP, Cole, and Mississippi head over to Bull, who had been watching the alleyway this entire time, and it's been over two minutes now, so you'd think the bad guys would have rounded a corner or something by now, right? Well, we find out Bull was just kind of standing there, because the first thing he says is the guys went down the street and took a left. So was he just making sure they didn't come back for more? question mark while we're talking about watching this movie this time around through the the chapter by chapter deep dive mentality i think i have a conspiracy theory let's let's see if it pans out throughout the remainder of the movie but hear, hear me out i openly admit that as i'm typing up the the script notes for this i've been listening in the background for a day or so um, a really great podcast. It's called The Pod and the Pendulum. And it's where they review movie franchises one at a time. And you should definitely check it out if you're into that sort of thing. But anyways, as this is Halloween time, as this is being recorded, they just finished up going over the Saw franchise one at a time. And, well, maybe my mind is just prepped for it, but I'm looking at this movie and trying to find the twist ending it would have if it were more like a Saw film. Q, hello, Zeb. But uh, hear me out. What if Bull is actually corrupt? You know, what, what if Bull is actually in cahoots with Bart Jason and he's out to eliminate JP so he can be the next sheriff? 
you know, he does, he does a whole heel turn at the end and we get flashbacks to Maudie telling Cole about JP hitting bowl. And there's a few shots of him having to clean up the drunken puke and piss and shit of the sheriff. How he's had to sleep in that jail on a cot while the sheriff stinks up the place, Bull's place, despite having his own place out there with the mariachi band. You know, what if Cole sending Bull out with no sleep to watch the McDonald's was finally the last straw? You know, watching them shop for seemingly 10 hours was just more that, than he could take. And when's it Bull's time? You know, where, with Bart Jason in control of the town, now, now it's Bowl's time. Keep an eye on this. So I'm, I'm definitely, definitely going to watch for this. Anywho, the sheriff and Bowl walk down one side of the street while Mississippi and Cole take the other side. And we get some great percussion in the score. You know, just what you would think of as like a tiptoe secret spy walk straight out of a, uh, like a Pink Panther movie. Do, 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 do. And the sheriff starts showing signs that his stomach is getting the better of him, but he does pull it together. It's it's a nice shot as we see Cole still walking along, but his his attention is 100% on seeing if JP is okay. And it would have been a nice opportunity for the bad guys to get a jump on them as, as the Duke's focus is not on the danger that lies ahead, and he has to worry about the sheriff instead. But alas... Mississippi startled by a, a very pretty girl sitting in her window who asks him to not make it obvious that she's talking to him. And she takes a drag off her cigarette and confirms that they are looking for the three men, one who has a leg that is not good, one who is really tall. And she doesn't mention that the other guy is short, so maybe he really is about James Conn's height and she doesn't want to offend him when he finds out, maybe. And I need to see this tall guy. I mean... You have John Wayne's six foot four ass running around here. So just how big is this guy? She tells them that they ran into the church down the way and they have not left as she's been watching. And as our chapter is called Church Shootout, I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. Uh, he thanks her. Then he trots over to Cole to tell him. And as he comes up, Cole asks what he was doing. And we get a call back to the don't you think I can know a girl line that the Duke used over at Maudie's. Nice little touch. Cole then gets JP's attention and everyone goes sprinting down the street. Which, why? You know, they, being bowl, just got done saying that they shouldn't be in too big a hurry to go down the street because the bad guys were acting just like they wanted someone to do that. They, they stop at the corner, and we see down the road the aforementioned church, and as they cross the street to the other corner, they get shot at. So, at least one of the three guys is still there. Or maybe just a very vindictive priest. We, we don't know yet. As if the gunshot wasn't confirmation enough, Bull says, They sure are. They hit me in the bugle. Look, it's got a dent. Which is another of the great chuckle moments that this movie has. And I'm not sure that it fits as well in what should be a, a tense action buildup scene, but it does elicit a chuckle for me whenever, whenever I see it. And now with this, this bowl is evil theory. 
Buckle up, kids. Did that shot really just hit Bull in the bugle? I mean, he's just casually standing there with the other guys. You know, no one is that flustered that they were just shot at. But wouldn't someone be just a bit more upset or worried that he just got shot and being saved only by the metal bugle you have hanging around your neck? You know, it's 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 pretty casual if you ask me. And I, I think, I think you know, hear me out. One of two things. One, that bull either actually took that bullet damage during the shootout with those guys and the McDonald's. And he now has an excuse for the dent in his bugle, should anyone get too curious about it. And whether bull was involved. Or, or, that bugle has always had that dent since the Civil War. And he's just now using it as an excuse to divert anyone's attention from him as a possible mole for the Jason gang. You know, like in so many movies where the bad guy hurts himself so no one will suspect them. You know, think think Stu and Billy in the first Scream movie or for you fellow old timers out there when, uh, when Dick Van Dyke shot himself in that episode of Columbo. You're welcome for those that get that. The, the gang starts shooting at our heroes once again and Bull... Ever the staunch, unfazed hero that he is, wink, says they're in that bell tower, watch, and starts shooting back. Or is he? Every single one of Bull's shots are hitting the bells, a much easier target and safer target, pending ricochets than the men poking their heads out of the tower. So as Bullpert continues to provide cover shots, the group advance closer to the church, and we get our first Western trope alert of the season. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And through that fence, we'll head them off at the pass. Head them off at the pass? I hate that cliche. <laughs> In the middle of a shootout, the good guys walking through the open towards the bad guys and not taking any damage. It's the Stormtrooper rule for you Star Wars fans out there. The Duke provides cover for bold advance, and the bad guys conveniently miss him as well. When he gets to them, we get a nice touch of the Duke having to reload his rifle. You know, it's, it is the little details. It really is. It's, it's not a never-ending ammo-supplied gun. They, they all start shooting at the church, and we get easily the loudest part of the movie with those damn bells going off along with the gunfire. Bull provides cover once again while the other three storm the church. And the little run they do is too much for the sheriff. And, you know, he's he's in pretty bad shape from the detoxing and the lack of cardio. But uh, the Duke sees as much and is in the middle of telling Mississippi the battle plan that doesn't involve JP when JP just runs towards the church. And there's a brief moment as Cole was telling Khan the, the plan that he notices JP taking off and I swear he says God, but doesn't finish it. Like, was there a moment in the script where the Duke just says, God damn it, and, you know, in frustration of this drunken asshole doing everything he can to get himself killed? I mean, it's like the shittiest of escort quests on a video game. I hate them. You hate them. We all hate them. You know, the, the damn AI character not following directions and making the mission 10 times harder. You know exactly what I'm talking about. JP bursts through the church door and Cole comes after him. 
and the attention of the shooters turn to the inside, and the one with the bad leg hops down, and he goes running out the side door, getting stuck for just a moment, opening it, and potentially being shot by JP. Mississippi is seen outside that door, following after the bad leg guy. And back inside, the Duke shoots one of the men, and I think this may be the tall one, but since they are all crouched up in the loft, it's, it's hard to tell. You know, it's, it's interesting that they spent so much time, and as a side note, so little detail in mentioning the looks of these guys, when realistically, the guy with a limp is the only one that anything comes of. You know, we, we, we never do get to know just how tall this guy is. But anyways, the, the tall guy, now gut shot, takes a beautiful, beautiful somersault tumble off of the loft to the ground, making the, the flat, bump, flat back bump look way too easy. And whoop, whoop, whoop. I'm calling a trope on this one as well. As it's just a variation of the usual guy falling off the balcony that we see in many others. Anyways, we head back outside where the limping man is doing his best to run. And Mississippi, just not catching up, decides to unleash the Swede's fury. And this time, there's no rear projection or CGI gun blast. He just shoots the gun this time. Still with the Terry Crews expendables level sound effect. Excuse me where he hits a sign hanging above the running man and it knocks him in the shoulder and down. But alas, it only stuns him for a, for a second or two and he continues running down the road. We cut back inside where the Duke rifles the third man, presumably the short one, in the gut. And no, I'm not going to call another tropler because this one is truly unique to me. The guy gets gut shot. And instead of doubling over and tumbling off the loft like his partner did, he grabs the ropes that I always assumed were to ring the bell. But in, in looking at it in pause, it doesn't appear to be attached to the bells in any way. Um, I think it might be a rope used to move stuff up from the floor to the balcony. But anyways, he grabs that rope and we get a POV from the ground pointing up to the loft and the man falling into the camera shot. And... It really is a neat shot and one that I I just don't remember seeing in a lot of any other movies, you know, let alone your traditional Western. And it's almost as if this, this would have been a, a 3D shot in like a 3D horror movie, if that makes sense. Like he's he's falling at you and it's, it's just a nice little touch. Cole and JP head for the door. And JP says one got away, which the Duke couldn't miss an opportunity to be sassy. And, you know, remember the hip cocking. Anyways, <clears throat> he doesn't miss an opportunity to get a dig in. So he says you ought to know you missed him. Which, maybe, we'll see. But still, valid point. Duke was 2-0 and o on the other guys. They yell for Mississippi, who hollers, over here! And they meet up with Bull on the way. Cole asks, where did you come from to bowl? And he replies by yelling, I heard a noise. Which, again, bowl is jigsaw conspiracy aside. Bowl really does play the comic relief of this movie beautifully. You know, I, I know earlier I said I wasn't a fan so much of him making uh, the bugle joke, you know, just as the fight was starting. 
But now that I see, you know, that the, the bookend of violence with two brief comedic moments, you know, maybe that was an intentional part of the storytelling, like, like a palate cleanser for the audience who just, you know, saw this very loud, very violent action. And we see Mississippi standing by the sign that he shot, which reads, Dressmaking Notions. And it has three big gunshot holes in it. Cole asks if he got the third guy, to which Mississippi says, well, yes and no. He hit the sign that hit the guy. So maybe he gets an assist for that one? JP notices blood on the ground under the sign. And here's where I was mentioning JP's shot at the door. So growing up, all the way until these last two times watching the movie for this podcast, I always assumed that the blood was coming from where the sign hit the guy. You know, that's how I've always read that part. But now in seeing the hesitation at the door that the limping man did, and the fact they purposely show JP shooting at him just before, there's the very real possibility that JP winged him. Mississippi says the guy didn't get very far, that he ran uh, into that saloon over there, to which Bull quickly says, Jason's place. Too quickly, if you ask me. But anyways, let's put a pin in, let's put a pin in the saloon being Jason's place for just a second. JP is trying to unsuccessfully reload his pistol. He's dropping bullets everywhere due to the, the DT shakes in, in his hands. And the Duke takes the gun away to load himself, once again, not missing a chance to, to nag on his friend, saying they'd be here all winter waiting if, if he had to. And JP faces the facts that he's going to have to go in there. To which the Duke says, you know who will be in there. And the sheriff says he needs to get two people. The one who shot McDonald and the one that paid him to do it. It's interesting seeing JP so hesitant to go in there now. I mean, you know, just a few moments ago, he was scrambling to get his gun so he could go back in there and shoot up the place. You know, perhaps the adrenaline from the gunfight has sobered him up a little bit and he's starting to see his shortcomings. We'll see. The Duke's nagging finally gets on the nerves of the sheriff and he flatly tells him, you know, he may be a drunk, he may not be able to load his own gun, but he doesn't need any bitch asses. You're welcome, Harry. To tell him how to do his job. And this chapter really does shed light on the fact that the Duke is just kind of a dick, too. You know, he's always making the catty comments and I stand by my sassy pants stance in a previous episode. As they all head toward the saloon, you notice that the Foley artist may have been a little too heavy handed on the gravel walking sound. And for those that don't know, a Foley artist is who puts in the sound effects in movies, you know, like footsteps and punch sounds, things like that. And I noticed on this watch that unless that is the loosest gravel road ever, their steps are just a little too loud. You know, maybe the volume is still cranked up a little bit from the gunfight. I'm not quite sure. The sheriff tells Bull to walk along the front of the saloon and wave to him in the back if it's safe to go in there. And Bull warns the sheriff to keep his shaky hand off the trigger. And when JP tries to tell him off too for being sassy, Bull simply replies, he hasn't even started yet. And... Mississippi jumps on the bandwagon and makes the comment that, you know, this will be a sight to see. And JP twirls on him, asking, who the hell are you? So, be 
another one on the scoreboard. I think we're at 16 or 17 now. The Duke does defuse it, telling JP that Mississippi's just a little green and that the man he's looking for has a bad leg. And JP does back down, resign to what he really needs to do. And we end our scene with JP, Mississippi, and Cole sneaking into the dark back alley, and they begin to jog there. Like, they've just been casually moseying on this whole time, and I wonder why the sudden need to speed things up? Question mark. But anyways, what happens next? Will JP restore his honor, you know, by drunkenly killing a bunch of men? Will Bull see his opportunity to end it all and send JP into an ambush? Will Mississippi go back and thank the smoking lady in the window? Find out this and more when we return next time with El Derpado. Until then, as always, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Support Your Local Podcast. Please take the time to like and follow us there. And if you do have a free moment, something that is absolutely free, but you can help me out a great deal with, is rating and reviewing us on whatever podcatcher you find us on. Until we meet again, folks, I love you. And please, please, please support your local podcast. And when his strength failed him at length, he met a pilgrim shadow. Shadow, said he, where can it be? This land called El Dorado. Over the mountains of the moon, down the valley of the shadow. Ride, boldly ride, the shade replied. You search for El Dorado.